Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me for another installment of The Canteen, segment where we feature weekly sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, Pastor Blake continued our series in 2 Thessalonians called All Other Ground is Sinking Sand by challenging us to slow down when we feel left behind by God's deliverance and remember that he is always saving and gathering his people at just the right time. So let's listen in as Pastor Blake brings this week's message. Hey, let me encourage you to grab a Bible or open up your phone and find the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapter 2. While you do that, uh, if you weren't here with us last week, we were in 2 Thessalonians 1. And uh, we talked about this idea of knowing your king's call. Knowing what it is to to follow Jesus and and to to, uh, hear him and to journey with him and find confidence in that. To know that he will make you worthy of whatever he invites you into. And it was a good challenge, right, for us to be people of purpose and stability right where we are. And chapter 2 really begins to dig into that. So I'm excited for that today. Um, And uh, I want to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And just ask God's word to begin to shape us and mold us and change us, all right? We're going to read through the first 12 verses, and then uh, this is kind of a two-parter. Next week, we'll finish out chapter 2, okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message, or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know what currently restrains him, so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth, but delighted in unrighteousness. Father, we thank you for your word, your, ty- your eternal, unchanging word. We thank you for sending your son Jesus as the word in the flesh. And we thank you today that the Spirit is among us to help us, to teach us. And we pray that he would do just that as we open your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On September 23rd of this fall, J-Town High School went into lockdown at 12.30 as police searched for a person 
who was unlawfully accessing the building. That was the report. Parents were alerted to an evacuation of students around 1.45 p.m. They later received informational texts at 2.10, 2.35, and 3.15 as the school worked to navigate the situation with police and with parents. Now, you know the world we live in, and in the meantime, other news sources were reporting on the situation. Local social media was buzzing, and no doubt parents were exchanging texts with their teen children. And as I think about that, there's only a question that comes to my mind. Can you imagine, can you imagine as a parent how difficult it would have been emotionally as you tried to wrap your head around what is really happening? What's really going on? Now, before you get too emotionally invested in that story, and I, and I know it's happened at other schools as well, I want you to think about its implications for so many other situations in our lives. We want to know the truth, right? Sometimes we just want to know the truth about someone's story as we're deciding whether or not we're going to trust them. Maybe it's, it's someone we're going to work with, or maybe it's a family member, or maybe it's someone that we're considering starting a relationship with. We, we try to discover the truth about political candidates, who we intend to vote for or against. We, we seek to figure out what happens when our kid and somebody else's kid have some kind of conflict in the yard or at school. Uh, we, we reflect sometimes even upon our own history, the things that happened in our past, traumatic events that we experienced in our earlier lives, and we begin to wonder as we reflect on those moments, what really happened? What was the truth? Because, you see, we, we want to find, and, and, and maybe I should even use a stronger word and say, we crave truth. Truth that we can grab onto. Truth that's going to ground us. Truth that, that we don't have to let go of. You see, the truth that we hold onto in our spiritual lives often informs how we seek truth in every other area of our life. And so, what we believe to be true about Jesus about our spiritual beliefs is, is so vital in, in grounding us as people. But unfortunately, right, deceit, deceit in our world makes that a really hard thing. Deceit makes truth really hard to grasp. And that is the exact situation that is at hand here in Thessalonica. That's what Paul is leaning into as he transitions into chapter 2. Back in verse 1, he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Now, we don't know for certain who was throwing them into this frenzy, who it was that was being deceitful, but Acts 17 gives us a possible hint. It tells us about this, this wicked group of, of men from the marketplace. Uh, that's, that's what Scripture calls them, wicked men from the marketplace. And they make this comment in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, as they're describing the situation. And they say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You ever felt like that? You see, things have been turned upside down in Thessalonica. And when things get turned upside down, things typically begin to fall out, unless you're at Dairy Queen. Right? 
Bad and evil things were being exposed in Thessalonica. They were, that was some of the fallout of things being turned upside down by the gospel. At the same time, good and godly things were bring, being brought out of unlikely characters, unlikely people in the story because of the gospel. And so in all the ways, the, the things that are happening in Thessalonica, the world is being turned upside down by, what, by who Jesus is and the message that he brings. And I can't help but wonder, right? if the next play in this Thessalonica-flavored blizzard was that these same men whose worlds were being turned upside down, they were in the marketplace. Maybe their businesses were even being affected by the gospel, right? People were saying, I'm not sure I trust them. Like, who knows what's happening? But as their worlds are being turned upside down, I can't help but wonder if they thought, you know what, let's try to trick these new believers in Jesus into thinking that they had missed the very thing that brought them the most hope. You know what that was? Christ's return. You see, the hope that these people, these believers were holding on to was that Jesus was coming back. He was coming back to save them from this world. And they thought, you know, if we can just undermine that, if we can, if we can cause them to question that, man, then, then, then maybe we can get things in our minds turned right side back up. So, whether they were making false prophecies that seemed to be real or they were forging letters from Paul or they were just trying to deceive them into thinking they had missed the Lord's return through maybe something like gaslighting. All the deceit that was going on was making the truth really hard to grasp. Don't you hate that feeling? Have you ever experienced that in your life? You're like, I, I want to know what's going on. I want to feel more solid about the situation, but it's just really hard to know what's true right now. And no matter, in those moments, right, no matter how many warm, fuzzy words and phrases we throw at those feelings of insecurity, we continue to long for truth to ground us. We would do anything in those moments to have a firm grasp on, on what is true and what is right, to know that our feet are on solid ground, to, to have this firm foundation. And because we long for that as people, right, what Paul says next is both reassuring and unsettling all at the same time. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. Paul writes, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. So Paul reassures them, right? He says, listen, don't, don't be deceived. Jesus isn't coming until the apostasy comes. You haven't, you haven't missed it. You haven't missed him. But then there's this unsettling news. And that comes with this, this man of lawlessness or the man of sin, as some manuscripts, manuscripts read it. Otherwise known as, the language you often hear today is the Antichrist. This, this guy is coming. He is coming. And that's unsettling. If we're really honest to like to, to stop and think about how this, this man is described, is, is it kind of leaves you a little bit sickening. He opposes everyone but himself. It means he's against you automatically. He exalts himself above everything else. He sits in God's temple proclaiming that he is God. And, and with that combination of lawlessness, he, he becomes like the epitome of evil. 
you know, while we may see and experience this kind of rebellion or lawlessness and little doses here and there, this is the one that, that fully embodies everything about our enemy. The worst that you could imagine, it's worse. But it gets worse. Jump down to verse 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working, with all kinds of false miracles, signs, wonders, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who do not believe the truth, but delighted in unrighteousness. Did, did you catch that? Satan's behind this. At the end... He's putting everything he's got into this lawless one, into the Antichrist. False miracles. I mean, think about that. We, we just say it really quickly, but think about false miracles. Miracles that seem real, things that seem good in all actuality are the work of the enemy trying to deceive you. That's a little unsettling. Signs, wonders every wicked deception that, that are all geared to do the same thing. But then it gets even more unsettling. When this lawless one comes, people will perish, the scripture says, because they have not been grounded by the truth, because they have not accepted and loved the truth. Scripture says that when this day comes, those who don't know the truth will, will have this strong delusion. The, the word means a, a wondering or a roaming. In other words, they will begin to wonder towards the lies of the lawless one. They will be drawn to their own unrighteousness as modeled for them in the lawless one. And, you know, and I think about that. To me, the scariest thing in the world, the scariest thing in the world is the thought of God leaving me to my own wonderings. It's, it's the idea of God allowing me to roam towards my own desires, not because he's not there, not because he doesn't love me, but because I have rejected him. See, while we may not be receiving forged letters about these end-time issues, we still get flooded with all kinds of messages about what happens at the end of this life. I believe, I believe strongly, right, that one way the enemy continues to push this ball down the field in our lives is through busyness. If he can keep us distracted until the lawless one comes, and then the delusion will be in full effect. Our enemy's line of thinking becomes, if I can just keep them preoccupied until the lawless one comes, I can succeed in keeping them from being grounded and saved by the truth. Our busyness, it often keeps us from hearing or receiving the truth that can ground us. See, when we talk about busyness anymore, it's like a badge of honor. When we think about busyness, it's often about how tired we are, about our own fatigue. We recognize it and we say it's just a matter of prioritizing our schedule. And those things are part of busyness. They, they really are. But, but what we often don't see, right, is that busyness is also about losing out on the opportunity to consider the messages that we are hearing. It's missing out on the opportunity to discern whether the things that we are taking in and hearing and that are around us and, and that are consuming us are true or false. When life is busy, one of the first things to go is, is time to reflect and think intentionally about 
where we are and, and who we are and, and where we're headed and, and what's happening around us and, and most importantly, who God is and what his truth is. When we're busy, we react instead of respond. Surely, Paul didn't write this letter to the Thessalonians to scare them with the thought of the lawless one. This, this book has, has never been about scaring people into heaven. This book has always been about introducing us to the love of a Savior who comforts us. And so Paul tells us about the lawless one, but then he introduces us to someone greater. Something and someone we can all find comfort in. Begin with me in verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this. And you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in this time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. You know, this passage is is, it's kind of interesting because Paul is clearly drawing on some insider information he's shared with them before. It's like they've got some internal dialogue going. Don't you remember what we talked about? You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Don't you remember? I feel certain that information that that he's talking about would have been really helpful in understanding exactly what Paul is saying when he says, you know what currently restrains him. But the overall message is is really clear, right? This, This thing, this story... Your lives in Thessalonica, right where you are, it's playing out just like Jesus told us it would. And he is still coming back at just the right time. Just the right time. There's three things that I want us to notice in these couple of verses as we think about Jesus coming back for us at just the right time. One, lawlessness is already at work. Verse 7 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. Things are playing out just as Jesus said, right? Paul notes, just because there is lawlessness, it doesn't mean that the lawless one has come. We will experience that. You experience that. So when we experience rebellion, when we experience destruction, when we experience self-centered power trips, and, and when we experience just pure evil in this world, it's really just a taste of what will come when the lawless one comes. But we can take heart because Jesus always has control. Whether in this season of mysterious lawlessness or when the lawless one comes, it doesn't matter. Jesus always has control. Verse 8 reminds us of this, right? The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. That's encouraging. I love, too, the phrase, in his time, from verse 6, right? Even his, in his being restrained, in his being held back, and when he gets to come to earth, Jesus is in control of all of that. It's just a subtle reminder that, that Jesus has always got things where he wants them, even if he is allowing others to exert control that isn't ultimately theirs. See, it's not just that Jesus is in control that gives us hope. It's also that Jesus is coming back at just the right time just the right time. The Lord will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. He will be ready. Jesus will come back at just the right time. You know why? Because Jesus is concerned about you. He's not concerned about the lawless one. 
He is concerned about you. And because he loves and cares for you, he will come back at just the right time. Now, when is that time? That's the question of the day, right? When's that time? Well, guess what? Since Jesus went back to heaven in front of the disciples a long time ago to prepare a place for us, believers have debated when this event, this this rapture, would come. When is this going to happen? Would it happen before, before the lawless one comes? Would it happen after he comes? Would it happen some other time? I'd be happy to have that conversation with you this week if your curiosity is piqued. Guys who are a lot smarter than me and a lot older and a lot wiser than me have studied this for generations. And uh, it's a fun conversation. But suffice it to say, you will see people who believe a multitude of things on this issue in heaven one day. You know why? Because Jesus will come back at just the right time. At just the right time. See, Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians is to remind them to keep their eyes on what they know to be true and not the uncertainty of what's being told to them. The man of lawlessness, you see, is just a distraction from the one that we're really watching for. You read this passage, and not once does Paul say, hey, this man of lawlessness, keep your eye out for him. All these acts of rebellion, watch out for those things. He doesn't say that. This man of lawlessness, you should try to figure out who he is. If you can figure out who he is, you're going to be ahead in heaven. It doesn't say any of those things. Paul's encouragement in telling us this is to say, don't you remember? Jesus is coming back. And he will come for you at just the right time. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, the idea that Jesus is coming back for you at just the right time to save you from this broken world is great hope and great comfort. But there's more to it than that. Because this principle, this idea that Jesus will come back at just the right time, it applies to what's happening in your life right now. You see, if we believe that Jesus is a God who who comes back at just the right time, then we can believe with great confidence that whatever our situation is, whatever we're in the middle of right now, whatever relationship we're thinking about, whatever hardship we're going through, whatever we're struggling with, whatever the situation is, we can trust that God, our Savior, will come back for us, will draw near to us at just the right time. And so whatever you're going through, right? Whatever you're going through, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're complaining about, whatever is going on inside of your head, it is a perfect opportunity for Jesus to come into your world and change everything and flip it upside down. Because Jesus always comes at just the right time. Stay focused on Christ's return. Stay focused on Christ's return because of that. You might have been to the eye doctor lately. Got one hand, maybe. A couple of you. The ophthalmologist. I don't know why we call them the eye doctor, but they're the ophthalmologist. I was thinking about this idea of keeping our, our eyes ready to see Jesus and, and instead of always looking for the lawless one, right? And um, I thought about the test that you go through when you go to the eye doctor where they tell you to look in different corners of the room. Do you know, do you know the one? Maybe. All right. Feel the life in the room. It's good. You go in the room, you sit in the chair, eye doctor pulls up uncomfortably close to you, 
He's got all these things strapped to his head. He's like, all right, here's what I need you to do. I need you to look up. Not at me, look up. And then he starts looking at you. And he's like, all right, look to the left, look to the right, look down right. He's telling you to look, at, look as far as you can to the left, as far as you can to the right. Can I just confess to you that I fail that test every single time? He's like, look up. And I'm like, because there's this guy right in my face, right? Like he's right there and he's shining a light and you're like, you're supposed to look away from those things. It makes no sense to me. So I got curious about this test and I reached out to a family from a previous church that I served in who does ophthalmology. And I was like, hey, what's this test? What is it about? And he's like, oh, I think you mean a binocular indirect ophthalmoscopy. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that, that one, thanks. You can tell he's way smarter than me. He says, yeah. He's like, what we're doing when we do that test, he's like, we, we have you look uh, in one direction. We shine the light in from one angle, and then we look in at another angle with this special in, lens. And when we do that, he's like, it's this incredible thing because we can see all the structures on the inside of your eye because of the angles and the light. That's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy, right? And I, I thought more about this, right? I realized that it is more important than I thought that I look where the doctor tells me to look. Because if I want to sure, ensure that my eyes are healthy, if, if I want to keep seeing, if, if, I, if I want to be healthy and, and be ready, I need to look where the doctor tells me to look. And that's really hard for me because I'm looking over here and there's like a guy right here and I want to be like, huh, huh? And isn't that so true in our spiritual lives? In order to do this, right, I, I have to like slow down in that moment in the chair and really focus hard, like look to the left, look to the left, look to the left, look to the left. Like I can't think about what he's doing. Look to the left, look to the left. Or it doesn't work. And that's exactly the encouragement that Paul is giving to the Thessalonians in this chapter. Look back all the way to the beginning of verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily upset or troubled. Paul says, look, everyone is talking about the end times. They're causing you to question whether you've missed it. They're trying to shake you at your core by calling into question the mystery of lawlessness that's already impacting you. But I need you, right? I need you to slow down. I need you to focus. And I need you to look where I tell you to look. At Jesus. Because He will come at just the right time. And you want to be on the lookout for Him. There's two words that I would take to summarize everything that I want to challenge us with today. It's slow down. Slow down. Say, how do I slow down? It's not that I don't want to, Blake. Like, I hear your message. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's hard to focus on him with everything going on in life. I hear that. Like, we've got work. We've got school. We've got kids' schedules. I'm on this board. I serve at this ministry. My work schedule changed. I don't want to miss the big game this weekend. Oh, by the way, our friends called, and they want to go hang out with us tonight. How, do you, how can you even say slow down? And this has become even more profound, right? Because right now, so many of us did get to slow down during the quarantine. We tasted that slowdown. 
We, we focused on life and living, and it was good. And then we even told ourselves coming out of that, right, just, just add only the important things back into life. This is a reset. It's an opportunity to make priorities and to live by them. And then life happened, right? It's like, I'll oh, just look at these things. Just stay focused on the priorities. And then, like, life was, like, in your face, right? For so many of us, we just dumped everything back in and hoped that it would all work out. It'll, it'll be okay. We'll, we'll make it. It's just a season. I hate that I even started using that phrase in my life because now it just haunts me. And I can lovingly hear our spiritual doctor saying, nope, you're not looking the right way. Look to the left. So How do I slow down? How do I get my eyes on him? Paul asked them his direction in this. Because we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset. The word literally means to not be quickly shaken. In other words, to slow down is to intentionally not move from, from thing to thing to thing so fast, especially when that thing is difficult. There's a very familiar story. Even if you've never been in church, you've probably heard some kids sing a, a song about this story that uses the same word of not being shaken. We find that story in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. If you've got a Bible or an easy way to flip over there, I'd encourage you to do it. We'll have it on the screen as well. Luke 6, 46 and following. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Oh, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, who hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. One of those stories that we grow up singing the songs about, you know, wise man, we just memorize the song and we don't, you know, sometimes we skip past what that means in our lives. To remember that this story starts with Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I really see two things, right, that we can take with us. Slow down and dig deep. Slow down is when Jesus says, here's what you got to do. You got to come to me, you got to hear my words, and then you have to act on them. So, so this slow down is, is this intentional coming to Jesus. It's, it's intentional hearing his word. Uh, over the, the last several months, right, we did this plus one initiative. We talked about uh, digging deep in, into who we are and, and how we relate to God. I would encourage you, if you're saying, how do I slow down, hear, hear Jesus' words, come to him, to look into what we call plus one discipline. Uh, you can go to loveshiva.com slash plus one and hear all those sermons, and there's one there called plus one discipline. Or you can go to the backpack podcast that we have, and we actually did five different episodes on these different disciplines these ways that we can slow down, come to Jesus, and hear his words. 
See, when, when we have to make this intentional choice to slow down, it's, it's first choosing, this is what is going to be my focus. This is going to be my priority. This is what I need to be about. It's engaging in different groups at church. It's, it's coming and hearing by any means possible. This looks pretty radical, right? Like, I, I could sugarcoat it, but it's pretty radical, to reorient your life entirely and make the focus of your life entirely trying to hear the words of Jesus, trying to come to Jesus moment by moment, day by day. But let me tell you this, it is possible. It's simply a matter of priority. Slow down. Come to Jesus. Hear his words. But then dig deep. I love what it says in 48. He is like a man building a house. This is the one that acts on Jesus' words. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. To dig deep is to act on what Jesus tells you in those moments. It's not to put it off. It's not to say, I'll get to it one day. It's not to come to church and be challenged and then not do anything about it. To dig deep is to take action. It's to not look for the easy route. It's to not stop until you've established the foundation of your life solely on Jesus' name and his word. If you want to live a life that's not shaken by every storm, if you want to live a life that's not upset every time your feelings get hurt, if you, if you want to live a life that, that is rooted in Christ, then you will figure out just how deep you can go to dig your life and put your life's foundation on Jesus' word. Nothing will stop you until you hit bedrock. See, this kind of resolve to be a Christ follower, it, it, is, it is gutty. It is gritty. It's, it's making this proclamation. It's putting the flag in the ground that says, I will keep digging until my feet are on the rock. Nothing will stop me from getting there. So I'm not sure I want to make that sacrifice. Let me go back to the questions that we were asking at the beginning. Do you want to know the truth? Do you want to quit being shaken by every storm and trial in life? Do you want to see Jesus clearly when he returns? Then look where the doctor is telling you to look. Dig deep for Jesus. Slow down and dig deep. Because Jesus is coming back at just the right time. You know, there's a beauty. There's a beauty that comes when we do this together, collectively as a church. If we can fulfill our mission to join Jesus on the outside, our lives become this countercultural picture of what it looks like to know Jesus. Because all of a sudden, there's this weird group of people that, that in this fast-paced, dog-eat-dog, everybody-get-your-own-world, we are consistent and stable and not destroyed by the storms of life. There's something about the way that we live and the stability that we find, not in economics or in our money or in our homes, not in any of those things, but in the face of uncertainty, there's this calm and steady confidence because our, our lives are dug deep in Christ. When you do that together, it's this exponential effect that, man, just gives you chills to think about. That can be us. Did you know that? That can be us. That can be us. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul had encouraged the readers about this same issue. 
his encouragement, the way that they were to encourage one another, is found in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Here's the invitation from Jesus today. Come. Be caught up with me today. I'm not talking about ascending into heaven today, although if he comes back, I'm ready. I'm talking about being consumed with him, making Jesus the one thing that you can't live live without, to be caught up with him, knowing that one day you will be caught up together with all those who believe to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. He will come back at just the right time. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? And all of that, All of that is possible because death has been defeated by what Jesus did on the cross and because of his resurrection from the grave. You guys got to see Gil be baptized today. You got one tiny glimpse of his story. One tiny glimpse that said, I'd heard about Jesus for a long time. But I've been deceiving myself into thinking that I was a Christ follower, right? Because I hadn't obeyed his word. And what he did today was a marker in the sand that says, today that stops. I act on what the Lord tells me. Maybe you need to make that same decision today. You need to make that same decision today. Katie and Kenny will be in the back, and they would love to talk with you about what it looks like to give your life to Christ. Not just to believe that he's real, but to say, I want to act on whatever Jesus tells me to do. Would you come today? And say, I want to be caught up with Jesus. I want my life to be caught up with him. I want everything about me to be firmly placed on that solid rock. Maybe you've been in church for a long time, right? Maybe you're like Gil, and a long time ago you said, oh yeah, I believe in that Jesus, but you never said, actually, my life is fully in pursuit of him. And you need to meet Jesus and have a real relationship with him for the first time ever. If you do know him, communion, we're going to share with here in just a moment as the band comes, is this incredible reminder of that truth that grounds you. It's a continuation of what we see in baptism, right? It's a reminder that that Christ was, was buried after dying on the cross for us and that he rose again to this new life for you. And it reminds us every time we take it that just like Christ died and came back, He is coming back again. And we find great hope in that. Today, if you know him and you're taking communion, you can be reminded of that great truth. We'll be ready to serve you as the band begins to play here in just a moment. You can go to the outside of the walls. Uh, I think communion cups are a little bit different today, so there's like two cups stacked together, juice on top, bread on the bottom. You can take those in remembering that Christ has died and come back to life once, and he's coming back again. If you need to make that decision to be caught up with Jesus, Katie and Kenny will be in the back. And I would encourage you, why wait? Why wait? Jesus is coming back at just the right time. Don't wait. But give your lives to him today. Let me pray for us as we get ready to respond to the good news of Jesus.
Jesus, we just confess to you that, let me back up, I confess to you, Lord, that even this week, there were way too many times that I was easily upset, that I was troubled by things of this world, that my eyes came off of you. But in this moment where we respond to the gospel and we remember that you come to us when we need you, and even, even when we don't, that you're always with us, that you're coming back at just the right time, Lord, we confess to you that we need you. You are the one that holds us fast. You are the one that grounds us and keeps us stable. So Lord, we ask that you would help each person in this place today find stability in you. Whether that's for the first time, placing their, their trust in you, and saying, I need to pursue Jesus. I need to dig deep for Jesus. Whether that's someone who's just said, you know, it's been a tough season and, and my eyes are off Jesus and I need to get him back. I need to repent come back to him. Lord, maybe it's just someone that's begun to waver just a bit and they, they just, man, they, they need that stability of Christ. May we rest in that this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for calling us into this beautiful life with you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in and experience Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey, but please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.